Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, today we're talking about the psychotic minds of predators. And uh, this is a lot of content, so I hope I'm going to not talk too fast or not uh, stumble all over myself. But, you know, first of all, the, the, the way you want to look at predators, there, there's many different kinds, but there's two great big categories. You know, uh, a violent criminal is either a force predator or a friendly predator predator. Uh, you'll instantly know a force predator because they'll suddenly attack you uh, from the in the open, f- from ambush, uh, though they may first play cat and mouse while deciding whether or not to attack you, that's what they do. And now a friendly predator will first try to get near you to isolate and trap you and then attack you. Now, many victims uh, 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 appear uh, afraid to appear rude ignore their gut feelings and their trusting, easy, naive prey for a friendly predator because they basically don't trust that gut feeling that this is kind of a creepy person. You know, never forget that at in the end, you'll, you'll never fall for a predator's lure if you study and listen to this show so you can understand what they are. And I can't say never, but what I can say is you're going to have better ammunition. You know, they are so naturally devious that usually even their families don't know of their double lives. You know, these criminal minds see other people as objects to exploit and know they may need to kill an innocent person to get away with their crime. So, you know, basically your life means nothing to them. So let's break down some categories. What's a thief? Well, they're usually desperate drug addicts and they essentially have no contact with their victims. And so they they steal basically to pay for their drug habit. Then there's robbers, which are like muggers. And then there's carjackers. And they confront victims with force or threats. And up to 75% of them are desperate drug addicts prone to violence. So everything, you know, you have to think how a drug addict is. Everything they think, says, or does has only one purpose, and that's how to get more drugs. And absolutely nothing else matters. No human beings, anything. You know, victims should instantly give up their money or uh, or car and flee. You know, fortunately, drug addicts are usually satisfied with money alone and don't ordinarily escalate the robbery, the robbery to a rape or a, a further crime, though they may kill to silence a witness. And uh, incidentally, one in three robberies are injured and one in ten are hospitalized. One in eight robbers are, are, are uh, female and only three of ten robbers result in arrest. And that's uh, according to the Department of Justice. Now, there's also rapists, and they use force or threat to commit a sexual act upon a non-consenting victim. And they may escalate to further injury or murder. And serial killers, by the way, are usually sexual predators who dominate, rape, torture, murder to fulfill sexual fantasies of of, uh, their criminal mind. And, And incidentally, rapists average seven victims before their first arrest. And most flashers, which are called exhibitionists, and window peepers 
are or eventually become rapists. Murderers usually have a close contact with the victim, except when killing by means of long-range shooting, poison, arson, bomb, or, or a trap. But a mass murderer kills more than two victims at one time. And, and once again, I'm trying to define this so that we understand what we're talking about. Now, a spree killer kills more than two victims, but they do it over several hours or several days. And then a serial killer kills more than two victims over a longer period. So incidentally, one in 10 murders is female. One in 10 murderers is female. Only six of 10 murderers result in arrest. Okay, so what is a predatory mind? Well, you know, you have to look at legally insane. Psychotic symptoms include delusions like hearing voices, uh, seeing hallucinations, uh, usually exhibiting unpredictable, often frenzied behavior, not knowing right from wrong. These are legally insane people, um, psychotic people. They don't hide their crime, thus they're legally insane in most of the U.S. states. And so they're unable to comply with the law by reason of mental defect, and that's called a psychosis, which is a psychotic disorder. And it is a fundamental uh, mental derangement, such as schizophrenia, characterized by a defective or lost contact with reality. So, you know, try to hide their crime. That, that, that proves that they knew it was wrong and did it anyway. They're just not sane. They, they don't know how to hide their crime. Though most uh, rampaging mass murder shooters are psychotic. You know, mass murderers are statistically rare. However, alcoholic and drug-addicted psychotics are four times more as likely to commit a violent crime than the average person. In contrast, clean psychotics are only 1.2 times the average risk. So overall, they compromise more than 5% of all violent offenders, but most simply, aren't capable of coherent cunning of predatory uh, stealth and hunting and trapping. They don't have an organized brain. You know, uh, news media basically often refers to the hothead who kills in a moment of passionate emotion as as, uh, uh, psychotic. You know, all humans are capable of doing so if pushed to the brink. Such as such a criminal in contrast is a cold-blooded predator who kills with little or no emotion. But all significant portion of the general public, the psychopath, it, it you know, psychopath is more prevalent in our society. At least four percent of the general public are psychopaths, and far higher percentage among criminals. And this includes serial killers and many more who never commit a crime but go through life abusing others without guilt. And the world's most, you know, the world most often doesn't recognize psychopaths as psychopaths. Um, but they, you know, they, they really never feel very positive emotions. Um, a lot of them are like Data or on, on Star Trek or Mr. Spock, you know, most unconventional treatment. Uh, such as group therapy, therapy only makes these guys worse. It teaches them to manipulate people and fake emotions. So, you know, experts say that psychopaths, while having an extremely uh, extreme mental disorder, they're legally sane. They know right from wrong, but commit a crime anyway. By trying to hide their crime, they prove they knew it was wrong. Thus, they are sane. And so, you know, psychotic symptoms include like core aggressive narcissism, being uh, 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 psychically isolated from other people. 
They believe they're entitled to do whatever they want in a cool, calm, narcissistic rage. Also, psychopaths lack compassion the same way that someone born blind lacks eyesight. They, they basically lack a conscience. Thus, they never feel guilt or loyalty. And without compassion for others, which is the essence of humanity, they easily deceive and harm those with the larger population of trusting people. So, however, not all criminals are psychopaths and not all psychopaths are criminals. Most psychopaths, uh, like the malignant narcissist or or the narcissistic personality uh, or the psychopath or pathological narcissist, they don't have violent criminal minds such as a social or a workplace bullies, uh, swindlers, uh, tyrannical boss. Uh, promiscuous, unfaithful lovers and, and uh, disease-infected sex partners, they wreak havoc but rarely mm-hmm. go to prison because they, they commit social crimes that aren't uh, necessarily illegal. And so, you know, basic occupations uh, that, that uh, psychopaths often thrive in and, and, uh, and, th- and succeed in is the military. Uh, also, business like salespeople, lawyers, corporate CEOs, or politics, or most anywhere where cunning, ruthless ambition thrives. The, you know, those who rise to the elite classes and also wreak havoc in various ways, but rarely go to prison. And in fact, they essentially rule the world. There are so many psychopaths out there as leaders of the world. And, and so you really have to understand that psychopath is not necessarily someone that kills, but they are somebody who has a psychopathic narcissistic rage in their personality. And that scares people and it intimidates people and it makes them think only for themselves, which means that they can prey on the weak. And, and to, you know, to a lesser degree, everyone is necessarily self-centered, but the psychopath is ultimately very selfish, brat, grown up in a pitless, cold-blooded adult is what they become. And so, uh, you know, you have to look for that. And and uh, now let's look at serial killers. You know, serial killers have a predatory mind of a psychopath. They usually have above-average IQs. They're nice, they're quiet, they're normal neighbors, but often act robotic once they shift into killing mode. So anywhere from 50 to 2,500 are operating at any time in the United States alone. Many serial killers have at least two of the three uh, childhood traits in common. And those traits, um, basically, uh, those traits are bedwetting uh, before the age, up to the age of five. Um, they also have uh, another trait, which is animal torture, and they have another trait, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that hurting somebody or planning to hurt somebody that is innocent as a child, the bullying activity is oftentimes a, a good indication that they are a psychopath. You know, uh, many murderers aren't predators on the hunt. Roughly one in third are the risky people, the human time bombs. They usually already know the victim, most are family members, and kill in the heat of passion on the spur of the moment. These killers have a, an inclination to violence and uh, basically to know the victim, and they always give warning signs of increased pressure and impending eruption in retrospect, making these murderers seem just inevitable. 
You know, many people believe that serial killers are loners and losers, unable to maintain careers or relationships. They're supposedly undereducated, narcissistic, and searching for short-term gratification. And, you know, the public itself wants monsters to be obvious. And many popular cultural productions reinforce the naive hope that they're on the fringes of society. But monsters do live among us easily and with little detection because the cleverer ones know how to adapt and deflect suspicion. You know, look at Ted Bundy. He worked on a crisis hotline as he murdered young women. Uh, John Wayne Gacy buried boys beneath his house while he ran a business through fundraisers and entertained sick kids. The eyeball killer, Charles Albright, had a master's degree, knew several languages, was a former science teacher, and had seemingly satisfying marriage. Three-time killer, John uh, Jubert, assisted with a Boy Scout troop. You know, these are people that are educated. You know, Christopher Wilder was a wealthy contractor and a race car driver. Michael Ross had an Ivy League degree. You know, why don't we spot these folks? Even socially accomplished ones before they do so much damage. You know, many blend in and they're the type of people who can go through the motions of ordinary living while acting out against others without giving it away. And uh, among their most dangerous features are a callous disregard for the rights of others and a propensity for uh, violating norms. They can charm and uh, manipulate others and uh, for their own gain, conning with no regard of anyone's feelings. And they look for opportunities like taking a security job that positions them to meet potential victims. For example, uh, they have no qualms when the time is right about uh, exploiting them. We, we want to spot them, but they usually spot us first. And so what I'm trying to say is they will take a position or, or a, a place that is unfitting of their personality just to, or an you know, underemployed situation just to expose themselves to a larger population. You know, uh, you also uh, you want to be very careful of, of things like a winning smile, the promises, the fast talk, the gifts meant to deflect you from manipulation and exploitation may be occurring. You know, any of these characteristics can have enormous sleight of hand value serving to distract you. They are very good at distraction. Also, uh, anyone, anyone who seems too perfect uh, psychopaths hide their dark sides until they get their target person deeply involved. You know, too much flattery, uh, feigned kindness, cracks in the grandiose stories should provide clues and put you on guard. And, and uh, you want to make reasonable inquiries about them. You know, you want to know yourself or you might be vulnerable from your blind spots. You know, predators know how to find and use your triggers. So the more you realize what you tend to fall for, the more closely you can guard against it. And all predators Predators, by the way, look for people who cannot accept compliments. If you do not know how to accept a compliment, you are setting yourself up for a predator. So what do you do? Even if you don't agree with the compliment, you just say thank you. And that's it. Leave it there because you're not giving them any bait. So let's look at the psychopath's mind. You know, psychopaths are very adept at identifying individuals who suffer from unhealthy, excessive narcissism. Why? Because such individuals appear to be vulnerable and insecure. So they care too much about what others think, uh, pinning their self-esteem and opinions on other people, which is a weakness and a vulnerability. So these people really don't know themselves, and they know they're not going to trust themselves. And so basically, 
what happens is they uh, they know the the narcissistic person knows a weak person. They love those kind of people and they suck them in, especially codependents. And they need to feel better than others or superior to others in order to have an identity and feel good about themselves. Psychopaths form a symbiotic relationship, very uh, superior, uh, very special couple. Because psychopaths have an inherent sense of superiority and because they're thrill seekers who consider themselves to be above the rules and the laws. And so they often manage to convince uh, such narcissistic partners that together they make an unbeatable power couple closer than other couples, better than them, smarter than them, more cunning than them, hotter than them. And during the honeymoon phase of the relationship, there are no words in any language to describe the superlative superiority, how they feel in their relationship. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about the problems with psychopaths and the problems on identifying the psychopaths and how the potential for this comes. And we're going to move on into child molesters. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Okay, everybody, we're talking about psychopaths, and basically, you know, in a relationship, how to identify a psychopath. You know, the problem is, as we know, that psychopaths inevitably 
pass from the idealization phase where you're pay- placed on a pedestal to a devaluation phase in all of their relationships. So that means you go from way up here to way down there. Um, this is part and parcel of their personality disorder to become bored and emotionally detached from every person they are with. You know, since a narcissist partner requires constant reinsurance of their superiority um, to other women, especially uh, since the psychopath with this constant flirting and cheating gives her plenty of reasons to be jealous of them. And, and she'll feel threatened during the devaluation phase when he no longer finds her hot, flirta- uh, virtuous, brilliant, uh, practical, wise, and all the other qualities he formerly used to feel and ascribe to her. And that's when the most dangerous and pathological aspect of their relationships began. During the devaluation phase, the malignant narcissist begins to reward almost exclusively by the punishment of other women to the psychopath hooks up with, uses and devalues and abuses them. She no longer uh, will be as wonderful as she seemed in his eyes in the beginning. And I'm using his and her, but, you know, it can go the other way. However, you know, there is a reward left in their special and superior relationship by staying with her, by needing her as an alibi and a cover for him, by harming other 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 people jointly. She she proves her sick love and loyalty to him, loyalty to him, while he in turn acknowledges her superiority to all the other women he uses and abuses worse than he does her. So the the worse other women are treated by the psychopath in more commonplace cases, uh, like uh, you know the the used and disposed of dirty condoms, a, a extreme cases like raped, murdered. The more abuse uh, confirms her special status. In his eyes, and so such women, the women that he goes after, are 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 without conscience, without remorse, without empathy, just like psychopaths themselves. They're they're manipulative, deceptive, and abused like psychopaths. So he feels that rage towards them, and they tend to to be the followers rather than the leaders because their excessive need for validation, which puts them in the mercy of other others, and uh, makes them feel especially appealing. Uh, to the psychopath, you know, as their partners in life and allies in wrongdoing. So, you know, if if you read uh, other cases and, and, and stuff about psychopaths, you know, they, they love the followers. They love the insecures. Now, how do you identify, you know, uh, uh, these kind of people? Their, their traits are, are common and uh, for all predators of all kind. Uh, you know, spiritual scammers often operate the same way. They use the same methods as other types of criminals, uh, on, uh, as such as uh, uh, conning artists and, and uh, other people. Uh, basically, a liar doesn't just tell falsehoods, lies to strangers, or in certain situations. A liar routinely lies to everyone in the same way. You know, a spiritual fraud is not just a spiritual liar. He or she will always lie about other things as well. So understanding these patterns of deceit among abusers and rapists gives us direct insight to the patterns of spiritual frauds. You know, uh, so what are what are some of the identifying characteristics? Abusers are charming and tend to be very skilled at social manipulation. They're very skilled liars. Uh, they also declare that they're very honest and honorable, but their actions show otherwise. 
They're also in control of their actions, not out of control. They do not harm everyone they meet. They're very careful to abuse people they feel confident that they can get away with harming, such as wives, girlfriends, children, apprentices, or those that are they're, they're, uh, are that are instructing uh, ceremonially. You know, uh, uh, basic substance abuse may increase their aggression, but you should never accept uh, being high or drunk as an excuse for their actions. And also, they blame others for their behavior. You know, the abuser shifts responsibility for their actions away from themselves and onto other people, a shift that always allows them to justify any abuse because the other person supposedly caused the behavior. But the fact is, abusing another person is a choice, you know? And while friends and acquaintances will be uh, subjected to manipulation, lies, and sometimes emotional abuse, usually only the abuser's intimate partners and immediate family will see the monstrous side of them. You know, abusers are very invested in their public image and will use acquaintances to lie for them and pass on their lies for defense. And they will uh, spend a great deal of time lying on, on, on to non-intimate friends and to lay false trail and misdirection and alibis. And abusers also specialize in finding out your vulnerabilities. And in the beginning, they'll tell you how special you are. They will encourage you to confess your fears and your vulnerability, and they will make a good show of being vulnerable themselves, even though it's just an act. And then they do this to make you emotionally dependent on them. And that is what they often do. They also seem uh, too good to be true. And uh, the truth is they are too good. They're not too good to be true. It is a total lie. But that image they can keep through the dating uh, process, for instance, and, and basically, even up to marriage, and then all of a sudden, they become someone else. You know, there's a common misconception that predators and abusers are easy to spot. They are, uh, they display obvious signs of their predatory nature, while they, there are warning signs to look out for uh, predators, uh, having carefully tailored their disguises through years of abusing other people and getting away with it. You know, uh, abusive behavior usually starts after the victim has made an emotional, spiritual, financial commitment to the predator. Abuse usually starts right after some milestone like moving in together, getting married, pregnancy, birth of the first child. With spiritual predator, uh, predators, it's often once the victim has made a ceremonial commitment or given the predator a large amount of money. Once that investment on their part, the victim is there. The predator knows the victim will not will be very hesitant to throw them under the bus. So that you know, if 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 you've ever been abused, you know, once you show the patterns to look for, abusers are much easier to spot. Remember, someone has harmed you. You can bet there are other victims out there if they've harmed you in the same way. So let's look at dark psychology, the human potential. You know, it, basically this assumes what lives within all of us is a potential reservoir of very violent energy. You know, all human aggressive and hostile dysfunctional behavior lies in a continuum of uh, 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 purposeness defined by basically dark psychology. Most of these behaviors lie somewhere on a continuum uh, using most in a, in a very uh, mild and fleeting thoughts and minor shortfalls. And the reality, though, is basically these fleeting thoughts shows our potential. We don't hang on to them. We don't hang on to that pattern, but we have these fleeting thoughts. And that is 
when we begin to validate those negative dark thoughts, when we start to uh, in, in try to question why we have those dark thoughts, when we spend time entertaining those dark thoughts, that's when it's becoming more conscious and that's when the behavior is uh, coming about. You know, So we kind of groom that behavior forward uh, if we put a lot of energy into our dark thoughts. You know, uh, the, the vast majority of the human race has never acted upon their thoughts. And the reason is that we have a, a, a very simple uh, boundaries and values that we hold on to. And so what we want to do is we want to understand as we have those dark thoughts, how those dark thoughts would fit in our life and the destruction those dark thoughts that have. People that have impulse control problems are ones that have trouble with dark thoughts because they go out there and they operate because they have that thought. They, they spend time with it and they go out there and impulsively uh, jump on those dark things and do those dark things. A lot of kids have very low impulse control and therefore their dark thoughts can really affect them. You know, uh, you know, not only have psychopaths divulged a perception of experiencing a sense of their evil acts accelerating to frequency, but also their experience of acting as a predator takes on an addictive quality because now they've started to label themselves in a predatory way, which makes them higher and above everyone else. Everyone else is the preyed upon. And so, uh, you know, this is basically thinking about these folks, these psychopaths, they hide those dark thoughts and they actually revel in those dark thoughts, but they not, oftentimes don't share them with other people, but they have a dark side and they go into that and they have secrets and they have uh, places they go on the internet and things that they do. And so as they do that, they're embellishing those thoughts. They're not, once you've exposed a predator, it's not hard to uh, prosecute them because of their patterns. It's habitual. Now, what is a child molester? Well, they they are, uh, you know, the, basically child molesters are people who abuse children and they spend their life basically preying on little kids. These are adults who molest children. And oftentimes these people are uh, begin with sexual curiosity in childhood or as children or as teenagers. Uh, they also uh, have a uh, often have a medical or a mental problem that needs treatment, and they are also opportunists who lack feelings for others and who have an antisocial personality, and they have an ongoing sex drive directed especially towards children. You know, um, basically, we have to look at what a uh, a child molester is. Oftentimes, if you think about it, people that uh, rape or people that molest children often were molested in their childhood or raped in their childhood uh, by an adult or by someone much older or a little older than them. And it was not necessarily voluntary. It was something that they were basically uh, 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 groomed into doing. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, is that oftentimes the history of these folks, they're trying to understand why this happened to them. And so they project, this does not excuse the behavior, but they project that behavior on other children, uh, basically trying to solve their own problem. That is the absolute wrong way to go about it. But that's that's what they do, and they develop that habit, and they they're trying to understand why this happened to them. And so they experiment on other kids, and then it turns into a crime, and then their life begins to become a dark, dark secret. You know, uh, um, 
Children and teenagers are sexually curious. You know, curiosity is a major trait of human beings. Some teens uh, use much younger children to find out about sex because they can convince children to take their clothes off. You know, most teenage experimenters, as they get older, stop all sexual interactions with children. However, a few sexual abusers will sexually touch a child because they are profoundly intellectually disabled or they have developed a brain disorder or they're just psychotic. You know, close supervision and when appropriate, medications to control the disorder often stop child molesters in that particular group. Also, some abusers will sexually touch a child because they have an antisocial personality. Think anti-society. That's basically what an antisocial personality is. People with this disorder may be social, even glib. And so why do we call them antisocial? Because they believe that the rules of society do not apply to them. They break many of society's rules, and essentially, uh, antisocials lack feelings for other people. In the mind of an antisocial, all of the rest of us, including children, exist to be used. And so child molesters in this group appear most often in horrific accounts that you see on television and newspapers. So when researchers analyze the data provided by uh, 4,000 abusers in a child molestation prevention study, they found this fact. Putting it all together with the first three categories of abusers, the sexually curious teens, the adults with medical or mental disorders, and the antisocials, were responsible for only about 5% of the sex acts committed against kids. In contrast, the members of the fourth category were responsible for 95%. Uh, so, you know... Abusers who molest because of an ongoing sex drive directed toward children is what I'm talking about. Abusers who fall under this category and are 16 years old or older are considered to have a disorder of pedophilia. Using teenagers and children who fall under this category and are younger than 16 cannot be considered a uh, pedophiles because they do not meet the diagnostic criteria so they have to be at least 16 but they have an ongoing sex drive directed towards children or young children and they can be identified early by a sex uh, specific uh, physician or therapist and they they uh, successfully control this by getting them to therapy early um, the single greatest cause that drives an adult to sexually interact with the child is a sex uh, is a sex desire for a little girl or boy, you know. Uh, so pedophiles molest 88 percent of our children, and they commit 95 percent of the acts. And it's a serious disorder, you know. It's it's well known. So you know uh, they uh, basically the categories that that make this diagnosis. Uh, you may be familiar with the main features that they are, uh, must be sexually aroused, have intense uh, reoccurring sexual fantasies of, or be involved in sexual behavior with pre-pubescent uh, children or uh, a child uh, 13 years or younger. Also, they're, uh, they are aroused by or have sexual fantasies of or to be involved with the child ev at, for at least six months. And uh, they're at least 16 years old and they at least five years older than the child or the children that they're attracted to. So, you know, let's look at, uh, you know, the diagnosis of females with the disorder of pedophilia is ex exactly the same. However, we're concentrating on med male pedophiles because they come to either the mental health or criminal justice system in huge numbers. Of uh, over 16,000 people, 
in the original sample of the child molestation prevention study, only 601 were women. Of the 4,000 people who were admitted to, to being a child molester, only 1.4% or 55 of them were women. However, female sexual abusers do present a problem. Uh, as daycare work- workers and, and often in trusted environments where they're around children. So a child molester is someone who sexually touches a child. You know, uh, what defines a child molester is the fact that the child molester has molested a child. A child molester always has a child victim. A pedophile is different. At 16, a full year before uh, someone, uh, when someone is molesting, basically at 16 years old, uh, that is something that they've pulled out in childhood. They developed since childhood, and they become a pedophile from childhood. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to finish up on molester characteristics, and then we're going to move on into date rape and the date rape drugs and all that crazy stuff, and also how to identify sex offenders. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about child molesters and uh, predators. And so, you know, the beginnings of pedophilia can be uh, attributed to both uh, biological and environmental factors. You know, case studies indicate that... uh, a brain dysfunction may be contributing or dominant factor of the pedophilia, including problems with uh, self-control, extreme urges, uh, cognitive distortions, meaning thought disorders. Uh, you know, many experts also believe that disorders for sexual preferences emerge from childhood experiences. And so, once again, that's kind of what we talked about. But, you know, uh, 
we have to look at child molester characteristics. You know, first of all, you have to understand that child molesters depend upon our ignorance in order to hurt little kids. You know, offenders have many victims. And we need to understand that most child offenders have multiple people they've hurt. That's when you recognize that there's a child molester. It's so important to understand that there's probably 10 or 20 kids behind that kid that have already been molested. And that's when you want to break the news on that person. That's when you want to get the uh, authorities involved because you want to stop them before they hurt other children. You know, uh, we also... Uh, have to look at studies. You know, studies indicate that child molesters who sexually victimize females outside of the home averaged approximately uh, 20 different victims. That same study found that child molesters who sexually victimize males outside of their home averaged approximately 150 different victims. So the importance of knowing this gravely disturbing information is to understand that those who sexually victimize children will continue to do so as long as they have access to children. So it's not just the known offenders that we must be vigilant about. It's the fact that most offenders have multiple victims means that most offenders in the midst have never been caught. And uh, family secrets is one of the biggest reasons why nobody wants to know that grandpa molested the little kids or grandma or whatever. I mean, or a cousin or they don't want to rat off their family. But that is so bad because that person is also hurting other people. Okay. also, offenders can be the most unsuspected people. Unfortunately, many uh, people believe that they can spot a child molester by appearance. But we are most often on the lookout for creepy-looking people who hangs out at the park or outside of school. But first of all, all adults should be concerned and take action to protect children when they see such a person. However, do not allow that limited stereotype to identify those in our community who may be more danger than that person lurking outside the school. You know, uh, basically, it's not the guy sitting alone at the party that we should be most concerned about. It's the one hosting the party we should be worried about. You know, um, we have to understand that these offenders are not strangers also. And, and an, uh, another unfortunate stereotype is that most offenders are strangers to a child. But we must be vigilant, vigilant in protecting children uh, from interacting with strangers. You know, uh, it, it, it's, it's not, it is common knowledge that most children are not sexually victimized by strangers. In fact, one study found that only 10% of child molesters mes- molest children that they don't know. And, and so we, we have to really come to terms with this reality that those who pose the most risk to our children are within our own families, our own churches, our own schools, uh, you know, any, any uh, in our daycare. I mean, we have to be very vigilant about understanding the people we're entrusting with our children. You know, often uh, uh, offenders prey upon trusting and vulnerable young people. And in order to sexually victimize a child, an offender will have... Uh, gain access to the child. As a result, offenders spend much time planning and executing what is commonly known as grooming. And I I mentioned that term earlier. And and this is a process which the offender gains access to the child in order to develop a trusting and authoritative relationship. So once such a relationship has been created, the predator is often free to abuse. And offenders often access children by, uh, number one, exploiting already existing position the offender has with the child or the child's family, which can include family members, teachers, friends, coaches, youth pastors. 
And also, number two, intentionally placing themselves in an adult role model role or even with a child that has similar interests to them. Now, th- those categories are oftentimes where you're going to find the offenders. And also, they minimize their criminal actions. Um, you know, it's just amazing but they are very good at, at minimizing their behavior. Even when someone throws a red flag, they, they're very good at deceiving. Once again, they're, they're usually people that are fairly charming. Now, what is a date rapist? Although there's no profile of a typical date or acquaintance rapist, but experts basically have identified some characteristics such as these. Uh, number one, they display anger or aggression either physically or verbally. And the anger need not be directed towards you, but it may be displaying during conversations by general negative references towards women, towards vulgarity, towards curtness towards others, and such. You know, women are often viewed as adversaries by a date rapist. You know, uh, they display a short temper, slaps, or twists arms. They act excessively jealous or possessive, uh, especially suspicious of this behavior if you have recently met someone or on a first date or a second date, and they display that. Also, they ignore your space boundaries by coming too close or placing their hand on your thigh. Uh, you know, you want to be very cognizant of this behavior when it's displayed in public that indicates that this person is aggressive sexually. They also ignore your wishes. Uh, that's a very common trait of a date rapist. They, they also attempt to make you feel guilty uh, and accuse you of being uptight. They also become hostile and increasingly more aggressive when you say no and acts particularly friendly at a party or a bar and then tries to separate you from your friends. So they basically try to, you know, uh, herd you off from everyone else. They usually act immaturely by showing very little empathy or feeling for other people or little social conscious. And they also ask personal questions and are interested in knowing more about you than you want to actually tell them. And they also subscribe excessively to traditional male and female stereotypes. Uh, They love stereotypes because stereotypes are predictable, and that means that they can prey on a woman that wants to be or be looked at completely as a woman rather than a person. You know, the the most common date rape drugs, by the way, is uh, rihipinol. And also, those are called roofies, by the way, and uh, GHP, and it's also called liquid ecstasy, and uh, ketamine, which is also called special K. These drugs, uh, they can come in pills, liquids, or powders, but they are drugs that are sometimes used to assist sexual assault. You know, sexual assault is any type of sexual activity that a person does not agree to. And it can include touching that is not okay, putting something in the vagina, sexual intercourse, rape, attempted rape, oral, whatever. And and these drugs are powerful and they're very dangerous and they can be slipped into your drink even when you're not looking. You know, they often have no color, no smell or taste, and you can't tell if you're being drugged. And the drugs also can make you become weak and confused or even pass out so that you're unable to refuse sex or defend yourself. So if you're drugged, you might not remember what happened while you're being while you've been drugged and the date rape drugs are used on both females and males by the way okay you know you know you may have been warned sometimes that people secretly slip drugs into other people's drinks to take advantage of them sexually i got to tell you in counseling i have talked to countless men and women who have experienced this you know date rape is also uh, you know date facilitated a sexual assault 
And it's any type of sexual activity that a person does not agree to. And it may come from someone you know or may have just met or thought you could trust. You know, date rape drugs can take people uh, and become physically weak and make them pass out. And this is why people who want to rape someone and use them because they leave these un- individuals basically unable to protect themselves. And many of these drugs are just transparent. And so we want to be very, very careful. So what can you do? to uh, avoid date rape drugs. Well, if you're at a party where people are drinking alcohol, you should be aware that there could be a predator and hoping to make you drunk or vulnerable. No matter what you are drinking, even if it is soda or juice, people can slip drugs in your drinks. So pour all drinks yourself and never leave them unattended. Even if you have to take them to the bathroom, do it. Also, be sure to stick with your friends. There's safety in numbers. They look out for each other. Also, uh, even if you leave your drink or leave your friends behind, know this for certain. If you are drugged and taken advantage of, it's not your fault. It is the predator's fault. You know, the bottom line is people who date rape, other people are committing a crime. And uh, so that is huge. That is huge. So how do you identify a sex offender of adults? You know, none of them are exactly alike. In fact, one uh, sexual assault expert basically said that sex offenders compromise an extremely uh, heterogeneous population that cannot be characterized uh, by single motivational or ideological factors. That was based on a Schwartz study in 1995. However, sex offenders often exhibit some similar characteristics. So here are the characteristics that we often see in sex offenders. They are overwhelmingly white males. Nearly 99% of sex offenders in a single victim incidence were male, six, to ten, six in ten were white. Most sex offenders were not sexually or physically abused as children. In one study of 115 or 114 convicted rapists, 91% denied experienced childhood sexual abuse, 66% denied experiencing childhood physical abuse, and 50% admitted to having nonviolent childhoods. Um, Also, men are more likely to commit sexual violence in communities where sexual violence goes unpunished. They look for communities like that. Also, sex offenders minimize their number of victims. Speaking with uh, 99 sex offenders through court records, uh, Sleisner back in 2007 showed 137 victims between them. But later during treatment, they eventually confessed to 959 You know, sex offenders are uh, experts in rationalizing their behavior. There is no typical profile of a rapist. Many defense attorneys will talk about whether their client, the alleged assailant, either fits the profile of a rapist or doesn't. This is an invalid argument. It is not possible. There is no category. So what are victims' options when they're targeted by a predator? You know, uh, um, you know, fighting or running away is the first, well, most well-known one. You know, various martial arts theories usually include, uh, include surrendering and freezing to the type of, uh, uh, or outsmarting or posturing or learning how to defend yourself. You know, these kind of martial arts stuff, you don't see them on every corner for no reason. They're there to teach children how to protect themselves and to teach people because those skills will often stay with you your whole life. And of course, it's impossible to fully anticipate the panicky chaos of a sudden threat forcing you or choosing among options in a split second about what you're going to do when somebody's coming on to you predatorily. You know, um, basically, 
Um, they look for populated areas that might inhibit, you know, you want to look, if you want to protect yourself, you want to look for populated areas that might inhibit the predator and uh, that is your turf, something that you're familiar with. You also want to use a cell phone or a headphone or uh, basically uh, anything like that. If you're using a cell phone or a headphone or daydreaming, uh, you're basically like an antelope waiting for the lion. So you want to be careful that you're cognizant of where you're at and what you're doing. If you're all caught up in your phone or listening to music, you're going to likely be a victim. Also, the type of assailant. It, it, you know, if they're scared or a volatile kid or a depraved lunatic or somewhere in between, you need to gauge that in that split second. Is this somebody I can take? take on and fight, you know, in the presence of a weapon or, or an accomplice, you know, they may not make that visible at first, but as you see that, the weapon or an accomplice, you have to evaluate what to do at that time. And giving up is is sometimes the best choice or the only choice to stay alive and hope that that, that person can be caught. But also, uh, you want to look at uh, your personality. If you're a passive person, you're an aggressive person, you know, aggressive person, uh, surrender, uh, you know, can, aggressive people often don't surrender. They, they uh, put on a show and oftentimes they get themselves in a lot of trouble. All right. So, you know, you have to ins- expect intimidating threats and expect to be hurt, but especially expect to survive. And so stress is what you want to learn how to control, how to posture yourself, you know, presenting yourself as a tough target, as a large target. Also, how fast do I run? You know, uh, outsmarting. And can I verbally diffuse a confrontation? Also, having pepper spray. Um, also, knowing how to fight or knowing how to do martial arts is going to help you if you are somebody that is uh, going through the process of being victimized. You know, um, street strategy doesn't always work, especially if you don't have what it takes to back up what you're saying. Um, it never hurts to rehearse what you would do in a conflict situation where a predator is coming on to you and learn how to set boundaries. Uh, one of the things that you don't want to do is uh, start threatening them back. Uh, once you do that, you're escalating the situation and you could turn it into something really, really horrible. Okay. So, also, you want to learn how to have an escape strategy. That's something you want to th- think through. That's our show. Our next show is... Uh, looking at cancer and how it affects us. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback uh, at drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, as the holidays approach, stress spelled backwards is desserts. Also, speaking of predators, Bill Clinton is campaigning so hard for Hillary because if she wins, he gets interns. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 